We welcome you to the Romantic Truth Podcast. The content of this podcast is intended for an adult audience due to the nature of sensitive subject matter and topics. Share the experience of Romantic Truth with friends on Google, CastBox, Spotify, Podcast Addict, Radio Public, Breakers, Apple, or any other podcast platform. Just type in Romantic Truth in the search and subscribe. Now, here is the host of Romantic Truth, Jowson. Hi everyone, Jocelyn with you here, Romantic Truth, Las Vegas. Now, Elizabeth, right here in Vegas, writes the following. I just turned 18 and I'm kind of curious about where I should go in my life. I have a sister that's 22 and she works at one of the ranches out here. You know what I'm talking about, I guess. Brothel. I don't really want that life, but I do want the money from it. And I've considered becoming a stripper when I, return, when I turn 21. I could go to California and do it at 18. But the cost of living in California is ridiculous and I don't want to stay with some pimp or some person I don't know. Right now I'm just curious as to what my options are as a young adult female. I've attached a photo so you can see I really have the goods. Yeah, you do. She's... Uh, fully clothed, thank God. Uh, she's wearing a denim shorts with a halter top. And yeah, she's built very well. Jet black hair, crystal blue eyes. Now, here's the thing. Elizabeth, here's what I will tell you. The one thing that I don't recommend is that you go in that direction. Go on and get your education. You can make your money that way. Being attractive and educated, well-rounded, you have a better choice of men at that point. You don't have to strip for a billionaire. You can actually marry one at that point. That's the way it goes. Would you want to be his entertainment or would you want to be his wife? That's a choice you have to make. Now, here's another thing to look at. Many of these girls that get involved with this kind of lifestyle, a lot of times, and I don't use the word girls in a derogatory way, I'm just using it in a figurative way. When we start looking at these young girls, and the reason why I call them that, of course, is because they're still young. They're younger than I am. Be thankful. You have to understand that they pay a price. A lot of them have had abuse in their lives. A lot of them are running away from home. So you're constantly competing. Constant competition, right? Now, the one thing you have to understand is these men that patronize them, they are under the impression that these women are always happy with the men that they're with. You'd be surprised how many people in the porn industry, how many people that are strippers, how many people that are in the adult entertainment industry that are actually lonely because nobody will date them. Because the assumption is they're already occupied. It's just like celebrities. Sometimes we think celebrities are already got it on lockdown. They got a boyfriend, they got a girlfriend. But in actuality, they have no one and they're looking for someone, but they don't want to go public with it. 
because it would impugn their reputation. It's the same thing with a lot of these uh, people in the adult industry. And someone will actually tell you. When they interview them on Vlad TV and different shows, they talk about how they haven't found a boyfriend or how they haven't dated or how it's difficult for them to find a man. Well, you have to understand, like I always tell you, the character leads to the behavior leads to the situation. Situation is they're lonely. What was the behavior? They are in the adult industry. So naturally, the character associated with that person to get them into that behavior, into that industry, are things that may not be so attractive to other people that would be interested in them if they met them at the grocery store. But as soon as they found out that they were doing porn or that they were strippers or whatever, they are automatically socially devalued. Not because of the fact that they're human and are less than, but for what they do, the behavior that they pursue. And that's the thing that they look at. That's what they're discriminated on. More people are discriminated on their behavior, believe it or not, than their physical characteristics. And we don't look at that. And of course, second would be situation. But in order to get to the situation, you have to have a conversation for them to reveal the situation they're in, right? Or for you to see it. So, when it comes down to it, these people will live a very lonely life, which means that a lot of them may not wind up as happy as you think. Others do. But see, you got to remember those people are usually tolerant or involved in that lifestyle. So many of these people wind up dating and marrying their fans. Somebody who's loyal, somebody who's subservient, someone who will do anything that they want at their beck and call, someone they can control, someone they can make love them just by asking. Because that person's so insecure in themselves that they don't want to lose that celebrity or that person that they're with. And they will allow them to have all the power. Now, here's where these relationships get into trouble. See, a person that has absolute power, they usually lose their empathy and their sensitivity to their partner's needs. I will give you what I think you need. I'm not going to ask you what you need. This is the way many of them operate. This is how they stay in power. Now, when they look at you as the lesser party, they think of you as being someone that's subservient, someone that if you fail them, there's an excuse, there's never a reason. Because the way they look at it, they view you as having the same options as they had. Well, I'm a rich man that's tipping you while you're on the stripper pole. So therefore, we had the same option of advancing our education getting to know people that can help us promote ourselves forward or propel ourselves forward. Why haven't you done that? This is the way they look at it. And you may be that girl in that stripper pole talking about, hey, you know, I had to go through an abusive family. I had to go through the foster care system. I had an abusive boyfriend. You can go down the list. To them, that's an excuse because they say you have options. You didn't have to do this. But from your perspective, you're probably thinking, no, those options were limited. I loved him. I had kids with him. 
here's my only way out. And so by doing this, what you're doing is you're actually limiting your options by convincing yourselves that you don't have those. And so as long as you do that, that makes you feel as though you're in crisis mode and you have no choice. But what you're actually doing is justifying the choice that you wanted to make, not the one you had to make. And this is where the disconnect is between people who have power and people who do not. I'll give you an example. Transworld Airlines, when it existed, TWA, they were running into financial problems. So what did a senior management, the executives do? They asked the labor union, the labor workers to take a cut in pay so they could get through those trying uh, situations. And then they told the workers, hey, you know, we're going to sacrifice on our end by not giving any bonuses. And so the people were like, well, that seems like a good idea. They're sacrificing, we're sacrificing. And then they had to cut jobs. So they cut some of the employees, some of the labor force. So they thought that it was going to, you know, mellow out and things were going to get back to normal later on and they were being optimistic. Well, the company filed bankruptcy and eventually closed. The executives did get their bonuses and the employees were left out in the cold. What it comes down to, they looked at it from the standpoint, you guys have options. You can go to another airline. You don't have to stay with us. You accept the conditions based on trust, but that was your fault for doing that. This is the way some people operate in life. And when it comes to relationships, this is how the empowered people get ahead. You look at when Trump was running for office in 2016. What did he do? He capitalized on the optimism of people saying, oh, we're gonna have a white businessman in charge of the country. God, this is what we wanted. This is the epitome of leadership, as many people thought. He's going to run this country like a corporation, which is a foolish uh, mindset, because if countries were run like corporations, trust me, a lot of countries would not have some of the things that they have now, especially freedoms. <clears throat> you want a country run like a corporation? Just look at Russia. That's an example. So, what did they do? They voted him in. After he got into office, he had a slew of executive orders. People were cheering him on. Yeah, he's coming in there. He's from the outside. He's not a politician. He's going to do something. No, because he was used to have power. So, with that power, he was not going to let that slip away. Your purpose as a voter for him was to get him in office. That's the extent of your interest with him. At that point, he was going to do whatever the hell he wanted to for his own best interest. And this is what the people missed out on. And this is what happens when you go and bring someone who is addicted to power. This is what, how they do it. You become irrelevant. That power is more important to them. And so the way he looks at it, the reason why other people, minorities, and everybody else didn't make it. They didn't take their options. And again, he has a valid point. When you look in different minority communities, African-American communities, 
They will tell you what they don't have, what they need, what they can't do, and those kind of things, or what they don't like. Because what they want to do is limit their options. So therefore, they're faced with that choice of victimhood. Because with that, they feel as though they can get more mileage out of being a victim than they could by being proactive and doing things for themselves. In other words, saying, well, you know, let me take my power back by not participating in the political process. But they're encouraged to say, hey, you know what? If you don't speak up, you won't be recognized. And we followed that philosophy for so long that we believe it. The problem is, though, if you really look at the facts, if you pull away politically from both parties and give yourself value by not participating in the fact that they're realizing we're going to run short on votes, so we got to go and appeal to these folks in some kind of way that will be beneficial to them and to us besides what we have already given them in the past that didn't work. But they don't recognize that power. So what they do instead is they participate one side against the other as if they're going to be a major player. But what it actually does, it neutralizes their power as a collective group because you're having the vote split in many categories. Like right now, many black males are still upset with the way the Democratic Party treated them. Not only in the 2016 election, but the 2020 election. And they're going to protest by voting against someone else other than a Democrat. Why? Well, first with Obama, a lot of black folks in general didn't feel as though they got any of their agenda items met not considering the fact that the president can't do certain things because he has a Senate to deal with in a Congress. But we don't look at it that way. We look at that power being invested in that one person. And so therefore, they should have all the autonomy in the world. We don't run a dictatorship here. Congress controls the budget, the purse strings of the country. The president leads the country. But as with anything else, he has an agency relationship, meaning that he has to go and persuade Congress to release the funds for the ideas he has, just like a CEO has to do with the board of directors and the corporation. And you have different interests there when it comes down to that Congress. See, folks, the problem is politically in America, it's not who's president, It's who you send to office to represent you in your region because that is going to dictate how things go. More so than one man sitting there in the Oval Office. He has some power, but he doesn't have a lot of power compared to what the senators and and the the people of the House have. We have to come to that conclusion. Now, here's another thing too. Even if he implements certain policies, they could be undone by the next president. We've already gone through that. But what I'm trying to get you to see is that in relationships, it's the same dynamic. The only difference is one party may have absolute power, meaning they have the money and they have the decision-making 
at their disposal. And the other party has none of those things. And so that individual is subjected just like a voter is. And so you're dealing with that person with the power in a relationship as like the president, the Senate, and the House in one person. And you coming along as like a voter who is supporting this person and you're hoping that that support you give that individual will manifest into something that's beneficial to you. Many times it doesn't. Because if you're with a narcissist, that person is going to assign blame, shame, and guilt. Now, the sad thing about it, a lot of you will use blame, shame, and guilt in order to get revenge. That's your passive-aggressive way of trying to hit the person with power in a relationship. And it doesn't work that way coming from you because you're less than they are as they see it. You've made poor choices in your life as they see it. So therefore, your voice may be listened to, but not heard. How many of you have voted for someone and then after you got them in office, it seemed like they didn't have your agenda at heart? But you thought that it was going to be that way on the campaign trail when they were saying it. It was because of one thing. You set expectations that were not attainable. This is what we do when we get in relationships with people that are of power sometimes. We assume that the life is going to be better because they are now the leader. Now let's take it back to a stripper that's with a guy that was a fan. Take for instance, they met on OnlyFans. And she really liked him because of his comments. And then she decided to go on a date with him. And he's oohing and aahing over her. And she's going to admire that. Because, see, she's been rejected by people that were up the higher chain than she is. So she might have been a stripper crawling on the floor for a millionaire. Where, instead of her crawling on the floor for a millionaire, now she's in front of a video camera for a guy that's a thousandaire. And so she feels as though, okay, this is my dominion. I could handle this thousandaire. That billionaire, it, that millionaire would treat me like crap. But this guy's going to treat me like gold. And so therefore, what she will do is utilize him to her benefit. She has the power. She's the president and she's the, the uh, Congress. He's nothing more than just a voter in that context, theoretically. So what this means is that he's going to be a follower. He's going to believe everything she's saying. You know, like a lot of people that really thought Trump was the Messiah. And they realized later on that that wasn't the case. Those that thought Obama was the Messiah, those that thought Bush, every president that was in office, those people that became disillusioned after they realized they weren't getting what they voted for. Well, a lot of times in relationships, it's the same way. You know, you hear a lot of people talk about, you know, having people on their knees. Think about it. There are three reasons why people say this. One is for oral sex. The other one is to be beheaded. And the other one is to pray for, to that deity that's going to make things better for you. So in all three cases, 
is a power, is a, a position of subserviency. You're treated as if you're less than. And in this context, depending on the individual, is how they perceive you and take advantage of that opportunity. We'll talk more in just a moment. Now, the person that has power in the relationship make assumptions. What are those assumptions they make? They assume that you'll be loyal. They will assume that the reason why you're in the position that you're in in life is because of the fact that you didn't take advantage of the options. Now, their options could have been much different from yours. In fact, they may have had better options than you did. But they don't see it that way because they lack the sensitivity of understanding or trying to understand you and your plight. They don't care. Now, an informed person that has power will educate their partner. I'll give you an example. As many of you know, I dated Monica Giopoletti years ago. Very nice woman. Very wealthy woman. And one thing that I understood with her was that she had the money. I only had $820 a month as a Marine Corps corporal when we met. The first thing she did was sat me down and talk with me about the disparity. And she did not expect me to measure up to her financial standards, because I couldn't. We made that abundantly clear. But she also told me not to have an inferiority complex because she had money. She said we were equal when it came to love. And she said that as long as I didn't go in and start trying to exploit her just for that particular asset, her money and her wealth, things should work out fine between the two of us. Then she explained to me that I'm her partner. I stand beside her, not walk behind her. I'm her partner emotionally, metaphorically, and every other kind of way. And then she told me about situations that I'd be exposed to, such as individuals that may have the power, but their partner will be treated like a subordinate. Now, I didn't think this was evident until we started going out to certain functions. And I started seeing this where you would have one charismatic partner that was definitely the alpha in the relationship and that other partner would be more or less an accessory. If the woman had the power, the guy usually would stay in the shadows. If the guy had the power, the woman stayed in the shadows. In our case, she was really on me about, I want you to mingle, socialize, because as far as I see it, you're on my level. So she wasn't embarrassed by that. And I was required, just as she was, to go out, socialize, meet people, and bring them to her, and she would bring people to me. We would introduce ourselves, 
And that's the way it was. Because she wanted to under, understand, wanted me to understand that the branding of our relationship was important. And I was part of the brand, she was part of the brand for me, and we had to work together. Now, the dogs are barking at a bird that happened to land in the back. Hopefully the bird is safe. But anyway, the bird will probably wind up whooping their asses anyway. But what I'm getting at, folks, is this. It comes down to the fact that your partner has to be a listener and a person who hears your voice. You hear a lot of people talk about communication. You got to be considerate of the communication both ways. If they're not, it defeats the purpose. Now, another aspect of this is that you're dealing with an individual that true enough, may not be able to identify or relate to you or relate to your lifestyle or you to theirs. You're going to have to understand at some point you guys got to reach a mutual accord. Because if you don't, that person's going to lead you and put you in the environments where you'll feel uncomfortable. And especially if they're insensitive and they abandon you in those environments or even not even take you into those environments because they're embarrassed by you. Now, There have been people who have been strippers in different types of professions that have written me about this particular problem because they have dated people that were ashamed to bring them around certain people, including family, friends, those kind of folks, but would take them out to a bar or something like that. They're stratifying that individual and their exposure. They don't want to be seen with this person on certain strata with certain people. And unfortunately, some people cope with these relationships. I know your personal pride kicks in and you're saying, oh, no, you know, you got to take me with you. Not always. I was fortunate in that I had a woman who believed in me that was proud of our relationship and would take me wherever she went. And then she would say, okay, tonight, your night, we're going to go somewhere you like to go. And I want to meet some of your friends. And so we did so. So she never thought she was an elitist. That's what she didn't want to come across as. And I never put her on a pedestal as an elitist. But you have some narcissists that do. And the worst thing in the world, and I've seen this happen, where that person of power may say to that other person, you know what, you just as powerful as I am so you could be condescending to people and with that mindset that person goes out and he talks down to people even if they don't have the same kind of clout that their partner has to make them feel better than someone one thing that Monica taught me was hey you know one thing you have to come to grips with we're both human we had different opportunities and different ways of advancing ourselves. She says, the only thing that I want you to always do is to look at your options in life. She says, I look at mine, you need to look at yours. Don't take any of those options away from you. A lot of people do this and this is a detriment to them and she was exactly right. Because a lot of people may feel down on themselves and when you start feeling down, when you have low self-esteem, 
you take those options away that would make things better for you so that you now put yourself in that same situation where you don't have to. And it's all predicated by the behavior. I don't feel as though my character doesn't feel as though I'm worthy of this lifestyle. So let me take these elements that would advance me away. So in this way, I feel more comfortable. Sounds crazy, but a lot of people do this. Haven't you ever met someone and from the minute the relationship begins, they have a crisis where I can't do this because of this. And then you're looking at the situation and saying, oh, that's an easy fix. The only thing you have to do is that. No, I don't want to do that. I'll give you a standing example. I had a friend of mine. Wanted to work in IT. At the time, I had a job as an infrastructure developer. And I was telling him at the time, you're going to have to apply yourself, meaning that you're going to have to go get the proper training and education in order to pursue what you're going to pursue. Yeah, but I don't feel like going to school. Well, that's part of the problem. That employer is not going to feel like paying you if you don't have the skill sets in order to be productive. <clears throat> so he goes on, he goes to school. And he says, well, you know, what I'm making now, I could have made as a truck driver. I said, yeah, but let's look at some of the things you had to do as a truck driver. Sleep deprivation was a threat. You'd have to worry about carrying your load. You'd be working all the time. That truck will be owning you because they don't pay you unless you're putting miles on that truck. Yeah, that's true too. With this, you can go home every night. Yeah, that's true too. But I'm not making the kind of money. I said, well, you just started out. You just started, you just finished school. Now you have to specialize in a specific field. And as you specialize in that field, you're going to gain expertise and therefore your value is going to increase. Man, I don't know about that. So what he started doing, he started dealing with PHP. And I told him, I said, that's a good start. I said, now, that's usually the backbone of many web applications. I said, but now you need to learn things such as MySQL. You need to learn MSQL. You need to learn more things that are going to put you with a better foundation. So you'll be more versatile and more valuable. He complained all through, and then I told him, I said, go with the Oracle database, that kind of thing. And he was like, he went on with that. And he had a knack for it, and he was good at it. And I told him, he was like, well, yeah, but I'm a PHP programmer. I said, now, you're going to couple that PHP talent with what you have acquired now with your database skills. Your database skills are going to be the meat and potatoes for you. PHP didn't get a kid out of college with that. And so he went on start working a little bit more he started to like what he was doing then he became the database administrator of the company now his salary increased exponentially he was at 95,000 and he's like whoa this is really cool I said yeah but look at what you started with you limited your options thinking that there was no future in it 
And what you had to do was look at those options and take advantage of those opportunities. You started out with PHP but never thought that you'd wind up dealing with Oracle as a database administrator. And the company sent him back to school to get more education. Every new Oracle product that came out, he was there on top of it. And he was making serious money at this point. He was happy with what he did. But the problem was, he started out by limiting his options. First, by not wanting to go back to school and get the education. So that right there was narrowing his future view. And people do this voluntarily a lot and don't realize it. Because the more you limit yourself, the more you're punishing yourself by taking away your options. What you're doing is you're exemplifying your emotions on how you feel about yourself. I'm not worth the investment. I'm not worth the time. I'm not worth the effort. So let me go and close myself off from those opportunities. Now I feel better. I have a limited scope of opportunity. So therefore that means that I'm where I'm supposed to be. This is the mindset that people have when they live in the hood. Those white folks are not gonna give me a job. Why should I try to get out? I'll become a rapper, singer, sports athlete, or whatever. And I'll follow the trail of someone else that got out. But you don't know what benefits they had along the way. You're just going based on what you saw them do by seeing them on television. See, a person will always write a book about how successful they were. But what they won't tell you in that book is some of the sacrifices they had to make. They'll probably hint on a few of them, but one thing they're not going to do is tell you something that was compromising to their character. I knew a lady that was very successful in business, but guess what she didn't do? She never revealed to most people who didn't know as well as I did that she used to sell pussy before she actually became successful. Some people have to go that route. So you never know how that person got there. Only thing you know is the result by seeing them driving around in the Rolls Royce, living in a nice home. But you have no idea as to what they had to do. And it doesn't necessarily have to be something that's nefarious or something that's illegal. It could be something that they had to do at that time that would have been very, very humiliating and embarrassing. You hear a lot of people talk about, yeah, I started out as a janitor and worked my way up. But they're not telling you the full detail. How they may have to kiss ass to get up that corporate ladder. Or how they may have to go and take some insults in order to get there. Don't talk about that. The racial jokes that they had to put up with. They never mention those things. I can't tell you how many jobs I've been on in the past where a person would crack a joke and use the N-word in the office like it was nothing. And they thought it was, it was cool that they can get away with it because guess what? They only had one minority in the office, me. Everybody else was white or Asian. And they would laugh. And of course, bringing it to HR. <laughs> I've had an HR director tell me, why are you going to stir up a harness nest? Just go ahead and just... They didn't want to have to deal with it. 
And I had to look at it from the standpoint, okay, do I do this, jeopardize my job in order to go and try to right a wrong for someone else? But I won't benefit from it because I'll be unemployed. Because let me tell you something. When they see that you're a problem, they will figure out a way to get rid of you. Saw that firsthand. So you have to play along with the game. I know we had those activists, those guys that would come in and talk about this and that and talk about how they're going to stand up, how so-and-so is racist and whatever. Those people never got promoted and they always got let go. So you had to watch yourself. And a lot of you are saying, well, my pride is more important, my integrity is more important. All that's well and good, but here's the thing you have to understand. In some environments, if you want to advance, you got to sacrifice. A lot of people are not willing to do that. That's the reason why they remain in poverty. And they call them sellouts and everything else. But they get jealous of these individuals after they make it out and don't turn around and give back. Because what they went through, they're looking at it from the standpoint, why should I give anything back? You called me the Uncle Tom on the way up, and now you got your hand out after I'm up at a certain point. But they never consider the shit that person takes to get to where they are. Same thing with rap artists, same thing with NFL players and all the rest. It doesn't matter what profession you're in. You've got people that are accustomed to talking and being the way they are when they have power. That's the way it goes. I remember we did a commercial one time when I was working in television. What is company that manufactured an automobile? Shot it out at a sporting event one time. And they had a vehicle out there and vehicle was going around the track and the car was black very nice sports car and it had a black horse that was running on the inner ring of the track the problem was when the executives for this company was a foreign company looked at the playback on the commercial they liked the music they liked the slow motion they liked the frames per second They liked everything about it except for one thing. They didn't want a black horse and they didn't want a black automobile. And the director said, why not? And the marketing manager of this company, or one of the executives said, we don't want to convey that in any way a minority would go to try to finance this car. This is not who we're looking for. So they got a white stallion, got a white automobile, and ran it around the track and shot the commercial, and the commercial aired on television. Did very well as far as sales. This was subliminal marketing. In other words, we don't want a certain class of people that have bad credit to try to go and apply for this vehicle. We only want people with good credit. And the assumption was, because the people would be a minority, black, Hispanic, they couldn't afford it, therefore we don't want them associated with this vehicle. 
Now, this is the way it goes. And what you have to do is adapt to certain environments. Same thing when you don't have the power. A lot of people have a problem with this because their personal pride, their emotions are hit, so therefore, they forget about the practical side of things. We'll talk in just a moment. Now, one of the worst things that could ever happen is for a person to portray themselves as if that power that they have is based on wealth and they're not wealthy. You hear a lot of people talk about how strong they are. You hear a lot of people talk about how independent they are, etc. You're setting expectations. So that person that you're meeting has not bragged about their income or anything else. They're just listening. This came evident with a friend of mine who was very well off. He had about $600,000 in the bank. He was liquid. It was all his. There was no attachment. He could draw out any kind of money he wanted to. He drove a modest 1992 Honda Accord. And during that time, people would always tell him about getting a new car. Well, it wasn't beat up or nothing. It was in very good shape. Had low miles on it, about 40,000 miles. He dressed rather conservatively. And there was one lady that he was trying to talk to. And she was talking about how wealthy she was. She had a Maserati. She had all of these nice accoutrements. She was coutured down. Had to design a purse, to design her shoes. And she was talking about how she couldn't find a man that was up to her level. So, he pursued her, and he listened to her. And then eventually, she started letting her hair down and telling the truth about her situation. She was barely able to afford the Maserati. She had a law practice, but it wasn't doing that well. And she wasn't liquid by no stretch. She was financially barely making it. And she was concerned about her billable hours as an attorney because at that point, she wasn't getting the business. He made more money than she did. He was an engineer at one of the aircraft facilities out in El Segundo. And she kept looking at him as being this person that she always had to try to impress She had to always kind of talk down to him. She had a nice home, but she was worried about the mortgage every month. And my friend called me one day and he said, you know, he explained the situation. He said, do you think I should help her? I said, no, because she presented herself in a certain way. And I said, you got to let your logic outweigh your emotions. Emotionally, I know you want to help her, but it's going to hurt you. And he's like, well, yeah, but, you know, she's struggling right now. I said, here's the thing. You haven't dated her long enough to really know her that well in order to bail her out. 
He's like, yeah, that's true. Later on, she started commenting about how she really made a bad choice in being with him. He drives a Honda Accord. He's not making the kind of money she makes. He was making about 70000 a year. But he was very conservative and frugal with his money. Where he lived in Inglewood. The people in the hood thought he didn't have any money. They thought that, you know, he was just an average guy. But what he was able to do was save two-thirds of his paycheck every month. And the way he was able to do that was by conserving. Not doing any lavish spending, not going on vacations, working a lot of overtime, saving money at every juncture. And so she eventually said, well, you know what? Uh, You don't make enough for me. I need a man that's going to help me. Well, she dumped him. He felt bad about it, thought he had lost the world. And I told him, I said, you have to understand a couple of things. And Fred, if you're listening, I'm talking about you. I told you I was going to talk about this particular situation. He decided that what he was going to do, he was going to go out and find him an average girl, which he did. He went to Utah and found this Mormon girl that was very nice, very attractive too. And she was only like maybe 23 or 24 years of age. And what he did, because at the time she had just finished college at Utah State, and she was looking for a way, I think University of Utah, I'm not quite sure, I think it was University of Utah she graduated from. And anyway, she went on, they got together, and she says, well, my hope is that someday we'll be able to afford a house. They dated for about a year. She never once probed into his finances. She knew the job he had. They moved to California. And she was under the impression that they had to struggle. Well, what he did, and they weren't married at the time, he decided, it's about time for me to go out and buy a house. So she was thinking that more than likely it would be something that if they ever got together, you know, as far as marriage, it was going to be a modest home. One of his relatives passed away, and he had to go back east, take care of the final arrangements. And it was an aunt that he never really had a close relationship with. And because every time he was nice to her, cordial, respectful. He would call her up, even times when she would hang up on him because she didn't want to speak to him. The problem was she didn't like his mother, her sister. But guess what? She liked him. But he didn't know this. When she passed away, she gave a portion of her assets to him. That sent him over the top. He was worth over a million dollars at that point. He bought her a house in Utah. When I say bought her, it was for the two of them. And what he asked for was a transfer on his job to Utah because she was missing her family. He had all this to culminate around Christmas. 
And around November, right after Thanksgiving, he invited her family down for Thanksgiving dinner. Right over there in Inglewood, in their apartment. And the family was very nice, cordial, friendly. The house closed in escrow that December. He had a moving van pull up to the house, load everything in. And they stayed in a hotel for a week, and she couldn't understand why. It was very difficult for him to pull this off. And she called me up to ask me, well, do you know why he's moving? Is he leaving me or what's going on? And I played dumb. I knew exactly what he was doing because he had told me everything. And they got an airline ticket, went to Utah. He sold the Honda Accord to a mutual friend of ours for almost nothing. I think it was like $800. And he surprised her. When they got there to Utah, house was already outfitted. He'd already purchased it. And then he asked her to marry him. They got married. They've lived happily ever after ever since. But he had to find a woman of substance. That was the key. And that's one thing that he focused on. And he said, you know, I had to break my old habits. He said, my old habits was to pursue a woman that really didn't desire me. And he said, the reason why I saved up that money was because I was looking for someone who wanted me for who I was and not for me for who I wasn't. And that's what that first lady was all about. She liked him because he was handsome, but he didn't have money as she saw it. So therefore, he was not worthy. And he made the right choice in the woman that he got with. A lot of people, a lot of our mutual friends, had issues with that. Oh, he should have married a black woman. Oh, he should have done this. Oh, he should have done that. Oh, 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 oh. And I told him, he made the right choice for the best person, not because she was not black, but the best person that would be suitable for him. Now, when his ex found out about it, oh, she was so pissed off. And guess what she did? Started contacting him to see how the relationship was going. She was on for the status report to find out whether or not there was something in the relationship that was failing. He was cordial, but he was also very curt with her. She waited around for that man for years. Nothing ever materialized. She projected that she had power in the beginning and assumed that he had none, assumed that he had no options. And therefore, she just made the assumption that he was not the right guy for her. A lot of people do that because when you make an initial assessment of, per- of a person, you can only go by what you see and what they share with you and what you find out about them. But sometimes 
they could actually tell you the truth about themselves. But a lot of times we don't like to listen. Too much information. TMI. Not necessarily if that person's going to be in your life, it's not TMI. Because you want to find out as much as you possibly can that they're willing to share with you. Even though the first lady shared this information with him. He was wise enough to look at it objectively, even though he was in love with her, from the standpoint of, hey, if I make this choice, I don't feel comfortable in the choice I'm making. That's the reason why he contacted me. Because he used to always wonder why I wouldn't, why are you not marrying so-and-so? Because of this and this and this. Oh, you're too picky. Nope. I see something that's going to be a potential problem in the future that's more of a problem than we both could resolve. And you have to make those judgments. Now, there are some people out there that are perpetual victims. And so, they're constantly looking for someone who is powerful, influential, charismatic, you name it that they can kind of throw everything at their feet and just subjugate themselves to be that loyal servant. And you have to determine whether or not that's what you want in life. Because that means that you probably cannot depend on this person's judgment. You probably cannot depend on this person's uh, observation of things or their opinion of things more than likely they're going to agree with you. You want someone that has their own thinking capacity where they can actually be objective at times and if things make sense, they could be logical at times. Getting rid of that person that's making emotional decisions on life-altering opportunities is what you really need to look at and examine. Oh, I had to go beat his ass because I was mad. Okay, now that you beat his ass and you're in handcuffs in the car, uh, what happens to our future? Well, I just had to go and get that out off my chest. Okay, you got it off your chest. He's in the hospital. You're getting ready to go to jail. You're going to have dead time in the relationship. Time away from your partner because you're locked up. It's going to cost money because you're going to need an attorney might have fines to pay. You may have restitution to pay. So how did that benefit the relationship? It didn't. Only thing it benefited was your emotional baggage. It had nothing to do with your practical advance in life. So you have to learn to get past your emotions and deal with the logic of situations. Because it's going to be your logic that sustains the relationship. Your emotions is what assist in the relationship continuing but the logic is the foundation of it to advance a lot of people don't agree with me there you've written in about this some of you are so emotionally inept that you are allowing yourselves to allow your emotions to lead you into relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship until you're blue in the face and don't know what the hell you're doing. You don't know whether you've been powder burned, butt fucked, or shot. 
you're just going through life getting kicked in the ass by every relationship you've been in and you need to stop it look at your pattern of behavior look how long you've done this look how long you've looked for that Messiah in your life what has it gotten you you have to realize folks you're your own Messiah you're your own Savior these other people can't do it for you I had to realize that with Monica. She couldn't save me from poverty. She couldn't save me from anything. She had the resources, but those were her resources. No matter how much she wanted to share with me, they were still hers. That was her accomplishment in life, not mine. And I respected that. And this is what we have to do with ourselves sometimes. We have to honor where we are and respect what we are and a lot of times we don't so we limit our options which actually hurts us in the end we'll talk more in a moment Let's talk about some of the setbacks that people will experience with this behavior. When you're pursuing a person of power, a lot of times you're not discriminate. Sometimes you find out this person has a good job, they're doing good in their career, they're stable, so therefore this person can pull me out of the financial cabal that I'm in or help me with it. If you have this mindset, you're a defeatist. You've already failed at what you're trying to do. You're giving this person too much power as it is. They're going to be your financial messiah. They're going to be the person to save you. They're going to be the person that picks you up from the dregs of poverty and deprivation. At this point, you're putting yourself into a bad situation. Because if that person does not have good intentions, you're going to have bad results. You're allowing someone else to determine your fate is what you're doing. You don't want to get to that point. So even though you may not make the money that you aspire to make, you're not the person you aspire to be, you are who you are. And you can start from that starting point and work your way up. You got to start looking at your options. What's available to you? How can you advance your existence on this planet in a positive way. Instead of looking at it from the standpoint of what I can't do. Okay, there are certain things that you will not be able to do. You won't be able to be Michael Jordan at 60 years of age and put down 50 points a game. Let's just face it, all right? But there are certain things you can do for yourself incrementally that will get you towards that goal in life. You know, when I first came up with this podcast, the concept of it, I looked at all the things I had done with the blogs, the bulletin boards, the message boards, all the way back to 1992 when I first started doing this. And I said, okay, how can I still advance this message forward and still advance what I'm doing forward? And I had to look at the different levels of technology. And then I had to ask, okay, 
I need to do a feasible assessment on how I can do this. And once I came up with it and I saw that it could work, I did it. I didn't sit around and ask other people. I didn't sit around and get a whole bunch of other people's opinions. Because trust me, most of the closest people to me were very negative about going forward with this. I don't know why you're doing that. Those people are going to think the way they want to. You know, leave them alone. Let them think the way they want to. Let them wind up, you know, going through the things you went through. Well, yeah, I could have done that. But that would have defeated the purpose. What they wanted to do was for me to take away that option. And what was the benefit of that option if I didn't use it? To not do it. But see, I had to come out of that state of complacency because I knew that if I did nothing, nothing would ever be accomplished, right? So therefore, I advanced. That's the reason why I didn't bother even marketing to anyone I knew, family members, friends, didn't bother marketing to them for a reason. They're gonna be skeptical until you're successful. When you're successful, that's when they come out, right? Because see, they're too familiar with you, so therefore, if you haven't done something before, they're looking at, I don't want you to embarrass me, I don't want you to share any of the stories about us, I don't want you to do this or do that. So guess what I did? The friends that did want to contribute, I would get their permission before I would share some of the things with you as I do online. That's how that all started. If they were not comfortable with me sharing an experience or something, I wouldn't talk about it. But if they were, it was not a problem. And these people weren't exploited. I get them commenting all the time about, hey, you know, that show you did, it was great. I have a better understanding of what happened to us in that relationship. Or I have a better understanding of how things did not work out. Or I have an understanding how that person thought. That's what it's about. But a lot of times we don't challenge ourselves. And that's the reason why we remain complacent. It's just like with me in exercising. At first I wasn't going to exercise. But then I realized I had to. Believe it or not, the benefit of me having glaucoma, believe it or not, has worked where I'm now more active because I don't drive anymore. So I have to walk a lot of places or catch lift or some other transportation. And it hurt me to my heart when I had to give up my car back in 2019. I had just paid the vehicle off, made the last payment on the car, and the day I made the last payment, I had to sell it because of my visual impairment. I wasn't going to jeopardize anyone else's life on the road, nor mine. So therefore, it was a wash. But what I learned from that experience was life isn't fair. Just because I paid it off did not mean that I was entitled to drive that car continuously. And I had to accept the challenge of going it without it. And in Vegas, as you know, those of you who live here, this is a very, very, very uh, 
sprawling town. It's very spread out. So 25 to 30 miles for an average person to go on a date is nothing. People do this all the time. Not to mention the scheduling, because some people work from 3 to midnight or from midnight till 8 a.m. And so, and some may have a day off like Tuesday and Thursday, for instance, or they may have a Monday, Tuesday, or they may have a Saturday, Sunday, if they're very lucky, because here in Vegas, they put a premium on Saturday, Sunday combinations when you have days off. It's like a reward. Scheduling is considered like a reward here. So it's not like a lot of people think. And it's taken a big hit since COVID. A lot of jobs have been lost because Vegas was the hardest hit city, according to CBS, in the nation when it came down to job losses and impact on the economy because Vegas is all based on entertainment and tourism. And of course, when you have people that are struggling through a virus, you know, priorities change. People are not coming to Vegas. And they started by coming when they wanted to feel better about the situation, feel as though they have some sort of control. But now that so many casinos are popping up on Indian reservations and in different parts of the country, it's like, why fly to Vegas when I can just go right down the street to the casino here. They know me, they're local. I don't have to worry about a whole bunch of uh, red tape. I could just stay here and do the same thing that I would have done in Vegas. And people are being practical about it. They may come out now, not as often as they used to. Many of the people that come to Vegas just as an aside, come from California, Arizona, Utah, Seattle, from many western states. You have some that come in from Oklahoma and Texas. But for the most part, it's not where it used to be because people have now reevaluated what's important. People are conserving money a lot more. So the whole dynamic has changed. COVID has changed a lot in the behavior of many Americans. People are not even coming here for the cheaper housing as they used to, because they're realizing now I can get a better deal going further east than I can out west, or going down south. And even those prices are rising. So with this, people are becoming more practical. And in that context, they have to become more practical about the partners they're with. Those individuals that used to be able to fake it till they make it are not sought out as much now. Because the way they're looking at these people now is, come to me with a practical approach. Don't blow smoke. Show me exactly where you are. They're more content-driven now. They want to know more about something than before. Because before, they would go through relationships, and if it didn't work out, oh, well, I'll just go into the next. Now people have prioritized that. If you're going to be in my life, 
I have certain standards and criteria that may be flexible, but I'm not dropping them for you. And this is what is taking place. Now, also, love is not so pervasive as it used to be. Practicality has now measured up. So it used to be where a person was driven to do things because of love. Oh, I'm just going to relocate because I love him or her. They're realizing now that there is a cost in doing so. People are reevaluating, hey, why would I want to move to California where the cost of living is ridiculous? Well, I live here in Missouri and the cost of living is manageable. Maybe you should move to, from California to Missouri. But I'm not moving from Missouri to California to struggle. A friend of mine told me one time who moved back east. He said, why am I struggling in Vegas when I can live in Ohio? And I said, well, you got to live through the cold weather. He said, you know what? He says, I'm willing to have that inconvenience as long as I'm in a place that's my own, as opposed to leasing or renting out in Nevada or out in California to think that just because I'm near the beach and have better weather, it's not, no longer worth it. This is the reason why in California, usually a person will leave the state. They usually come in around 17 or 18, and they're out of the state by 40. Especially those pursuing the dreams of Hollywood and wealth and fame. A lot of times it doesn't materialize for them. So they feel as though They've gotten there, and after they got there, they were like, well, damn, this is it? A one-bedroom apartment in Hollywood, and I'm paying a ridiculous amount where back home, I can own a home for what I'm paying for rent here, for a one-bedroom. True enough, the cost of living is cheaper back home. It's cheaper to make it. I won't make as much money, but by the same token, I will probably run a better risk of meeting someone that's more grounded back home than I would here in California. And that's a valid argument. And a lot of times people don't like looking at that, but that's what it comes down to in many cases. They will go and enjoy it. But when they realize that they're going to be struggling for an extended period of time, that's when they make that decision. And sometimes when that decision is made, a lot of people will do it. And of course, they'll have shame and everything because back home, they told everybody how wonderful things were and how well they were doing. And of course, the family members are impressed. And then when they come back, they could actually level with their folks and tell the truth. Now, that's for some. For others, they still look at it being better than where they left. And they don't care what it costs, they want to stay. Nothing's wrong with that as well. But they understand what they have to sacrifice in order to do so. And again, it varies. It depends on what's important to the individual. But if you don't get anything out of this particular uh, 
episode, one thing I want you to go away with is the fact that, one, you are the person that yields the power to that person to make them powerful. Now, once you've done that, don't equate your expectations with the power that you gave that person over you in your relationship. Because they may look at you as to say, you had an opportunity to do better and be at the same level I am, whether it's financial, whether it's emotional, whatever the level is. But understand that by you yielding that power, you have no room to complain because it was you that did that in the first place. That person of power looks at everything that you tell them as the reason why you couldn't measure up. They look at it as as an excuse. You know, it's just like the boss when they do your evaluation and you come in there and you're sitting there and they notice that there's a decline in your productivity and they want to ask you, well, what's going on? Why are the numbers not like they used to be? Well, boss, this has happened. My wife is having children, blah, 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 blah. Well, the way they see it is that's an excuse. That's not a logical reason. What does this have to do with you not performing? In other words, they're holding you accountable for a standard they expect you to keep. Same thing in a relationship. That powerful person is holding you to a standard that they expect you to keep. And if you don't keep it, then they look for excuses because that's what they think you're going to come up with. So that means that you as a subordinate in the relationship has to come up with a feasible reason as to why it couldn't be done. Why wasn't the report printed out so that I could present it to the board of directors today? Well, my printer was out of ink in my office and I didn't have enough gas to go to Kinko's in order to print it up and I don't have a SD card in order to put it on. Well, did you consider uh, contacting IT in order to route the proposal and report through my printer where I could print it out in my office? No. Well, that person in power is thinking, well, what you didn't do was use all your options. So, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy with that person in power that employer, that boss, that manager, that supervisor, that's saying, well, you didn't really utilize all the resources you had at your disposal. This is the way they look at it. And sometimes people say, oh, this person is Teflon. They're narcissistic. No. They're telling you you had more options than you actually utilized. You know, on this show, when I talk about evaluating a person's situation I tell them what their options are is so that they can see that they have other choices besides the one that they presented. A lot of times the option that you present is the one you favor not necessarily the one that's the best one for you and this is how a lot of you get in trouble. You think your option is to stay with that dysfunctional relationship with that dysfunctional partner and things are going to get better. And then you start saying, well, nobody would want me in my situation. I have three kids and I'm 35 years of age. Nobody's going to want me. 
that's because you've been convinced by that influencer, that person with the power, that nobody else wants you because he's probably told you that. And so you begin to believe that, and so you voluntarily limit your options. And your options is that, as you see it, is to stay with that person. Well, they're benefiting off of your misery by you staying there. That's the way it works. So hopefully, folks, this will help you. Take care. More to come on tomorrow. Romantic Truth would like to take this opportunity and applaud our listeners and over 40 countries for their support. If you need someone to talk to in regards to help, you may contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255, available 24 hours. All correspondences read on the show have been pre-screened and pre-approved by the submitter to be aired on the show. The views and opinions of this podcast does not reflect those of Romantic Truth, Anchor, Spotify, or any of its affiliates. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests, and should not be deemed as professional guidance, advice, or a professional practice. In the event you may need professional assistance, contact your local federal, state, or county agencies for specific assistance in social services, family counseling, or mental health services. For all medical, legal, and financial services please contact the appropriate licensed and certified professionals within your region. The music that is provided on this podcast that is not provided by Anchor is used under waiver by Jaws and One Music for fair use. Please be advised that the content of this podcast is under copyright by Romantic Truth and James Adams.